You're listening to Keystone Cold Cases, a podcast where we reignite cold cases across Pennsylvania. Hey, it's Amanda. Hey, it's Sarah. And hey, it's Grace. And today I am going to be telling you part two of the mainline murder story. I was just asked by two anonymous people to <laughs> can't imagine just who those two people would be quickly go back over um kind of the main players in this story very quickly before I get back into it so I'll just kind of do a quick rundown Susan Reinert she is the teacher and mother that is eventually murdered she was an English teacher at Upper Marion High School William Bradfield was the head of the English department at Upper Marion High School. He was the sexy, wise professor type. (laughs) Sexy, in quotations. Um, Vincent Valaitis was another English teacher at Upper Marion. He was kind of part of Bradfield's posse of teachers. He lived below Bradfield and Susan Myers in the same rental. And then Susan Myers was the teacher that Bradfield was living with. And then there's um, Chris Pappas, and he kind of rounds out their little Bradfield group. He was a former student of Bradfield's, and then he also substitute taught at the high school. So who's who was the principal? What's his name? J.C. Smith. Okay. Yep. The psychopath. Yes. Yeah, that one. So those are pretty much the main um, people in this story. So does that jog your memory a little bit? Yes. Okay. Yes, thank you. You are so welcome. So yeah, like last week I got really into the different people and who they were. So today we can really dive into what happened in the time surrounding the murder of Susan Reinert. Something strange started happening among Bill Bradfield's posse. He began telling them constantly that he was afraid Jay Smith was planning to murder Susan Reinert. He claimed that she jilted him kind of after a very short affair. And she was like, oh, I don't want you. And then he got mad and he was like, I'm a kill a bitch. So that's what he was claiming. And yeah, Sarah, your face says it all. Your confused face (laughs) says it all. I mean, like based on what we heard about him last week, I'm... I don't want to be surprised, but there's still that, like, I'm sorry, what? Like, they, it's not like they were married and she cheated on him and it was. But also, why is he telling his friends who are like, you should probably tell the police? And he's like, nah. I mean, I'm not going to lie. There have been moments where I have said, you know, like, I could strangle my husband. Metaphorically speaking. Or like, he's driving me absolutely nuts. I would never actually say, Hey, I'm going to go murder my husband. So Bradfield claimed that Jay Smith had all kind of like the trappings of a murder kit, basically. I mean, he carried hella guns, obviously. But he had um, hella guns. He was dropping his trash off at the school. And he was in his underwear (laughs) in the school. Like, where the fuck are the children? 
I feel so, like those kids have to be so fucked up in this school. I forgot when I was kind of looking over one of the books I was reading again that the janitor claimed that one time he found Jay Smith naked behind his desk at midnight. I was like, wow. What the fuck? <laughs> the underwear was bad enough, but just like stark naked. He was cleaning his guns. Okay. If that's what you want to call it, I guess. There's a country song in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Bill Bradfield claimed that Jay Smith had this like many pocketed coat and he would keep different things in each pocket of the coat. <laughs> I'm picturing like when you were in middle school and high school and they did all the dare seminars and it was like this sketchy guy in a trench coat would be like, hey, do you want drugs? Hey, do you want drugs? And like that is what I'm imagining if he has this coat of many pockets with things in them. He's like Inspector Gadget in this Go, go, Gadget. Jay Smith. Jay Smith's coat of many pockets. Um, I've never seen a picture of it, but I kind of believe it is more like a winter coat. So like I, I imagine like a puffy coat with like different and he had like weird shit in there, like tape and plastic bags. And, Tide pods to do his laundry um, at school. Chains. All of these things. Yeah. But mostly things to murder people. Well, yeah. so well, if um, he doesn't wear underwear around in his in in there, and he's doing laundry and throwing out his trash at the school, maybe he needs his coat to keep all of his shit while he does his laundry. Apparently, yeah, like his change, yeah, spare change. Sure, maybe. <laughs> but the bizarre part about this is that it gets worse. Brad Bradfield had claimed that he knew about this coat that Jay had and that Jay was going to kill Susan Reiner. So he decided to kind of try and get close to Jay Smith and kind of become friends so he could learn his ways and hopefully save Susan Reiner. So he bought or a many, call the cops. He No, he bought a many pocketed coat as well. <laughs> <laughs> My brain is just going to like Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor's raincoat. Yeah, exactly. The amazing many-pocketed dream coat of murder. <laughs> murder. You know, if we did fun titles on these episodes, that would 100% be the title right now. Obviously. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So Bill buys one. He buys all of the things that he says that Jay Smith is keeping in his pockets. Um, he shows vince valitis and he was like look at all this weird shit that jay smith keeps in his pockets look at these chains actually let me tie you up in these chains and tell me if you can get out of them yep just let it sink in and vince is like okay i'm sorry his last name sounds like an std i just can't and now he's being tied up yeah, this all- we're still not over this a week later. <laughs> Does he have condoms in there? This shit all came out in court. It all came out in court and it's just like wild fucking shit. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So he is basically like telling all his friends. Jay Smith is planning to kill Susan Reiner. This is the coat that he has and the shit that he keeps in it. Also, he tends to kill around the holidays. That's It's just kind of his thing. And he's killed a lot of people before. I thought it was August. No, that's like really... So a lot of working on the ambulance and stuff, like a lot of crazy people 
is around the holidays. You see a lot of suicides and stuff around the holidays. Not that they're crazy, but um, a lot of crazy shit happens around the holidays. So that doesn't shock me. Yeah. But just kind of a weird thing to say on top of all this. Like, yeah. So he'll probably do it around the holidays. And he claims that Smith has killed tons of other people. Like, so that's the story that he's going with. Like his daughter and her husband. Could be. For speculative example. Mm-hmm. He needs pockets to keep all the souvenirs. A pinky here, a toenail there. <laughs> Probably. Extra underwear. Why he doesn't wear underwear? <laughs> well, only sometimes, I guess. He doesn't wear pants. You know what? Let's move on. So Bradfield had become close to Susan Reiner shortly after she started at Upper Marion. He liked to tell people that it was only a friendship and actually a begrudging one at that. Apparently, he felt sorry for her. Um, She was a single mother with two kids that didn't seem to know what she was doing with her life. In short, Bradfield thought she was pathetic. He just felt really sorry for her and was like, I guess I'll take care of you. I feel like she kind of had her shit together, though. Like she had a job. She had a job. She was taking care of her kids. Like, I, I mean, I get that she wasn't with her kid's father anymore, but that doesn't make you pathetic or worth intense sympathy yeah and she was sad for sure but she was doing all these she was living her life right i mean this was the time frame though when like divorce and separation wasn't as that's true so it's more prevalent yeah it wasn't as prevalent then it was more rare um but you know he just wanted to help her out he said he would babysit the kids sometimes but like it's not romantic in any way check out my coat (laughs) i don't know maybe it was a sexy coat like i've said i've never seen a picture of it so i've never been attracted to a coat but (laughs) that's do you get it at burlington Maybe, but from Susan Reinert's part of view, point of view, they were in love. So apparently there was even some overlap between Susan's relationship with Bradfield and her marriage with Ken. So it's kind of speculated that Bradfield was just kind of a homewrecker. Imagine. Insert shock here. Seriously. Susan Reiner even thought they were going to get married and go to Europe with the children. And that's a pretty specific delusion to have for him to say like, oh, she was pathetic. There was nothing going on. But she seems to think they're going to get married and move to Europe. And she has told her friends this. Not Ken, because he's afraid she would try and keep her from taking the children to Europe, which like, duh. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, I mean, my my best friend's brother-in-law had a similar fear that his his kid's mom was going to do something similar. So, like, I've seen that point of view. But did Susan particularly ever have, like, a desire to move to Europe before anything with Bradfield? I don't think, like, a serious one. Like, she was really into, like, books and films and stuff. So I'm sure, like, the culture was definitely a draw for her. But I don't think she had any kind of plans to move there before he came and swept her off her feet. Right. And enjoying a location and wanting to up and move yourself and your children are totally different. I mean, I love going to visit my family in the Bahamas, but... I wouldn't just say I'm going to move to the Bahamas when I have an established career here right? doing what I'm good at and what I like. 
you know, it wouldn't, unless I met someone that was saying, hey, we should do this. Okay, maybe. Did she visit Europe before? Like, or did she just say, hey, like, let's spin a globe and we're going to, we're moving here. And it landed on Europe. Because, like, why would you move to place that you've never been to in your entire life it just seems like empty promises that some guy would make you that's trying to woo you you know we're gonna get married we're gonna move to france we'll take the children i'll take care of you you won't even have to work like it just seems very cliche so i imagine he was just feeding her ideas and just claiming to other people that there was no sort of romantic relationship So she was just waiting for Bradfield to break it off with Susan Myers, which is the teacher that he was living with, um, which Bradfield told her um, he was doing slowly. So Myers wouldn't completely flip out because she's a sensitive woman as well. So if he just up and left her, she'd freak out. So he's got to do it in a delicate way. Well, she's a woman. So her entire identity is tied to the man that she's with. She's not independent whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So insert sarcasm here before he completely just up and leaves her. He's going to slowly try and pass her off onto someone else. And that someone else just happened to be Vincent Velitis. Of course it is. <laughs> and he was like, you know, it'll soften the blow. It's fine. It's just you. Ha- I have to do this very carefully. It was a very delicate situation, like diffusing a bomb. So he was basically protecting Susan Reiner from Susan Myers because, you know, bitches be crazy. <laughs> Letters to Bradfield from Susan Reiner were found after her death and they were dirty. <laughs> like the teachers Ooh. at this school, like it must have just been like sexting before cell phones because 100% what I was just going to say, <laughs> old school sexting. So dirty. Did they, like, fold them up into little, like, hockey puck-looking things, too? Like the triangles and play paper football? Not that I knew of. They were kind of just, like, stuck in his books and stuff as, like, using, like, your dirty note as a bookmarker. He didn't have it in his pocket? Guess not. He didn't have pants on. No, 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 no. This was Oh, no, that was Jay. Sorry, 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 sorry. He wore pants. I'm assuming it's not said that he didn't. Okay. (laughs) He might not have been that letter. But Susan Myers found at least one, which led to at least one of the physical altercations in the teacher's lounge. Remember when she was like kicking her in the shins and calling her a bitch. So normal. Yeah, normal. Chill. So the timeline goes something like this. Susan and Ken Reinert move to the mainline area and Susan gets a teaching job at Upper Marion High School. The marriage starts to fall apart. And like was Bradfield in the picture at this point? We're not totally sure, but probably. Susan falls head over heels for this bearded idiot and starts to become obsessed. And this woman who loved books and films and quiet spaces became consumed by this man and her love for him. If you can call it that. And then after her marriage has ended and she's in the throes of Bradfield stringing her along, just like everyone else, her mother passes away. And you would think that her partner's main focus would be on making sure she is okay and allowing her to grieve. And I'm like, sure, he played the part. But not long after that, Bradfield was like, hey, your mom left you some of her estate, right? And like, you're a woman, so I'm sure you have no idea how investing works. So like, why don't you hand that over and I'll help you out? So she does. Uh, He asked her for $25,000 in cash to put into this high yield investment deal that is just 100% foolproof. And 
I wrote down that he can double her money, but I believe it was like a 12% return. But I mean, that's kind of a lot, especially then on $25,000. And she'll be set for life. I just want to point out like the Titanic wasn't supposed to sink. Mm -hmm. So there is that. So she goes to her bank and tries to withdraw $25,000 in cash. Now, I don't know if they actually gave a shit because she's a single mother that appears to be vulnerable or if they were protecting their own interests, probably that one. But the teller is uncomfortable with this and the bank manager pulls her aside and is like, listen, when I worked at the bank, now, obviously, I worked at the bank a solid 40 years after this. But like if if anybody was coming to withdraw, I think our limit was 10,000. If they were withdrawing any more than that, they had to have like all sorts of proof of identification. They had to like sign off on things. Like it was a process if you were pulling out that much in cash, let alone $25,000, especially in the late 70s. Yeah. Like that's that'd be like I don't know what the exact equivalents would be now, but I mean I can't imagine. It's probably close to a hundred thousand. Oh yeah, it's I probably had close to being quadrupled. As I'm reading down the page, it would have the buying power of just under ninety five thousand okay. dollars. So yeah, you're going to the bank and pulling out a hundred thousand dollars in cash right now. Like yeah, the bank is gonna say, uh, what? M- like most banks don't even have that in cash on hand. That's like their whole vault, probably. Maybe if they even have like that. including coins. Yeah. <laughs> like, do you want 50 pounds of coins? That's what you're going to get. Yeah, that's I. that's definitely a, a red flag to a teller. So, yeah, the bank manager pulls her aside and is like, listen, that's a lot of cash. Like, what do you need it for? She tells him it's for an investment opportunity. And he's like, oh, OK, well, legit ones don't need it all in cash. And if she would give him the information for the person or people she was working with, he can work something out with them so she doesn't have to carry $25,000 in cash out of the bank. Um, She's like, no, she needs it in cash and she doesn't need to explain herself or give him any information because fuck you. So eventually he lets her take a small portion of it. And after that, she makes a series of small withdrawals to get around the system, eventually totaling the $25,000. I will say, if anyone is listening and says, ooh, I can use that to get around the system, (coughs) like there is a large time span that if you pull out a certain amount of money, even if it's in small increments over a certain time span, a report is automatically filed. Like the teller doesn't even have to do it. It's automatically done within the system because we would have people that you know if they came in wanting to withdraw that amount we would say you know we need xyz from you and if they didn't have that they'd say well you know can i get six thousand dollars and then they'd come back the next day and try to get another six and the system would flag it Hmm. because of the amount and it's i mean it's a it's not like within a week it's a a pretty big time span that it will flag If you try to withdraw that much, I'm sure it didn't exist at this point. Yeah. But things like this are probably why it exists. Yep. But yeah, we used to have to have those forms come up all the time that we'd have to fill out when customers did transactions like that. Yeah. Yeah. This probably is one of those things that kind of triggered those measures. Um, So she gives the money to Bradfield and he has her type up her own papers documenting the transaction. Um, apparently the police could figure out which typewriter shit like this came from. So that's pretty cool. I guess, um, 
they traced it back to her typewriter, but shady shit. So he couldn't even provide her with like legit documentation. He asked her to type it up. And I, it just speaks to like how under his spell she was because she just fucking handed it over and she never saw it again. So Susan Reiner let some people know, including her brother, that Bradfield had offered her an investment opportunity that she could not pass up. And they were like, that sounds fake, but okay. Also, Susan Reiner decided to change her will and beneficiary of her estate and life insurance to one sole person. Can't imagine who. Her future husband, as it was listed on official documents, William Bradfield. And I just, I think about how she loved her children. She was all about her kids, like absolutely adored them. But to my knowledge, he was the only one that would receive anything after her death. I wonder if she even signed it. Yeah, actually, I don't know. Or if it was forged, especially if something was typed. Mm -hmm. How do you prove? I mean, even if it was done on her typewriter or her word processor or whatever was being used just because the machine belonged to her doesn't mean she's the one that typed it. Well, she typed up the um, transaction for the $25,000, but her actual okay. will was legitimately changed. I'm just not a hundred percent sure if the kids were mentioned, but I don't think they were. Did they have a notary at the time? But if you're That's saying that question. like a lawyer or somebody did it, then it obviously is. Yeah. There'd have to be a witness of some sort. Mm -hmm. When they talked about it in court and stuff, it seemed like it was official. What is even crazier is that on a teacher's salary, Susan Reinert was attempting to get $500,000 in life insurance. And the insurance agent was like, yeah, you're, you're not worth that much. So no, but she fought for this amount. And I mean, it's just like she was at the bank. She was like, I need this. You're going to give it to me. And it just doesn't seem like she was that type of person like in other areas of her life. I mean, the only way that I can see it is if she was maybe in fear for her life and really thought that something was going to happen and she really wanted to protect her kids, but then they would be on it and not Bill. Yeah. So, like, I can see her pushing for the amount if it was to the benefit of her kids or maybe, like, he promised, you know, if something happens, you know, it would just be to cover funeral expenses and end-of-life expenses, but then everything else would be split between your kids, and it was, like, a verbal agreement she had with him. It, that could be it. But it's still, I don't know, that still doesn't... He did seem to promise a lot of things. And apparently he helped her pay the insurance premium sometimes, so. That'd be a hefty premium, too. Yeah. Well, the younger you are, the better. I mean, I know what my premium like, is. Like, the better the rate and stuff sure. is. I know what my premium is in my late 20s as a fairly healthy person, and my coverage is, I think, 250 So, for 500000 in 79 78 I mean, that would be... Well, if you think about what $25,000 was worth, it would be 95000 today. Right. 500000 is just... Two mil? It's, it's up there. Or just shy? Yeah. 
it's an it's a lot. Um, yeah. But she she really fought for it and she eventually got it. And there was even some accidental death insurance. Um, it was about an additional twenty thousand or so, and it would be paid out only if she died within the next calendar year. And yes, it covered murder. What? Yep. Wow. Usually it's like they exclude the first year. Right. I think this was specific. I think she maybe got the 500,000 first and then this was a different policy specifically for accidental death, including murder. But like, did she, so she's the one who actually like went and talked to these people, like the insurance adjuster and all that and said like, I want this because here I am with cold justice again, but um, there was an episode where this, it was super shady and the husband was an insurance person and he was taking out little policies over multiple companies so that you didn't have to do a physical and it totaled like close to $200,000. Holy shit. That's true. Mm-hmm. And then he collected every single little one of them. Oh, of course. of course he did. But he forged the name. So that's why I was wondering if maybe that's the case. And I'm... It's weird that they didn't want to give her the like that much because they don't ask you that now. Like I have, I have well over double that on me because of the business and everything, and they don't give a shit. But this like, was okay, how much do you want? The late seventies, right? And if you're looking at someone's salary and thinking like, are you going to be able to even pay these premiums? Like, why would we insure you for this much? Because like she was literally worth way more dead than alive. If you're financially speaking. Right. I mean, that is honestly most young people are. My husband did it. (laughs) The husband always did it. Not always, but you know, not in this case anyway. Um, Oh, okay. So it cracks me up because after her death, when the police were like, did you know that she listed you as the beneficiary of her life insurance policy? Bradfield was like, what? That's crazy. I had no idea. Um, which is interesting because around the time that Susan Reiner purchased these policies, he decided to have Susan Myers sign a cohabitation agreement because Jay Smith was planning to kill Susan Reiner and he was the beneficiary of a small life insurance policy. And he wouldn't want Susan Myers to become entangled in a civil lawsuit. And funnily enough, this does come up after the murder. It's a civil lawsuit, but like really it was for her protection you know, he's just looking out for her. And luckily, even though she was like crazy for Bradfield, she wasn't stupid and she did not sign anything. She's like, mm, I don't think so. <laughs> no, thank you. Um, but he had to list his assets on this agreement and they were as follows. A $250,000 life insurance policy for his mother. $500,000, no description given and a $500,000 inheritance expected in the near future. And he had a very hard time explaining these things in court. So I can obviously put the no description given with this life insurance he was expecting or even the inheritance expected in the near future. But wouldn't it show, like, there would be a difference in 
bookkeeping of major financial events between inheritance and a life insurance payout? Or would a life insurance payout be considered inheritance? Well, I was thinking that he included her estate as well, since he was in her will and she had just received like $25,000 wasn't the entire like amount that she received when her mother died. Okay. So I know that that was kind of in there too, but this was also kind of like a typed up agreement that like he was working with a lawyer, but it was supposed to be an agreement between like roommates. So like the wording may not have been like exact. Okay. Um, so I'm, I'm not quite sure. Or but... he could have lied to a lawyer. Oh, 100%. Like... <laughs> You can lie to people. You're and gonna he did. get found out, but I'm just trying to think like if the five hundred thousand dollars with no no description would have been the life insurance, then the inheritance, like does she have like is her house worth five hundred thousand dollars and like her assets and all of that? Does he plan on selling the kids? Or her mom. Do the kids stuff. have a, You know yeah, what it, might be part of the confusion too is that I totally said this wrong. That the accidental death insurance I said was like twenty thousand. It was like two hundred and fifty thousand. Oh, so okay. there's that. that changes I'm like, things. Oh, I think I'm like trying to figure out the math here. I'm like I fucked up somewhere, but yeah, the <laughs> accidental was two hundred and fifty thousand. Then he has like okay. the twenty five thousand he took from her, the rest of her estate that he's probably expecting. So it's probably all wrapped up. Okay, so in that, but you don't like like an asset is like that's not an asset. Unless it was a whole term policy. And even then it's, I don't even think it's listed as an asset. Maybe I'm wrong, but you don't say, Hey, like my aunt has a $50,000 life insurance policy and that's an asset to me. Like that's just, I don't completely understand right. a cohabitation agreement anyway. <laughs> like especially it feels like with a this... prenup minus the marriage. Yeah. And I know that in there, like it was a few pages long at least. And it said that they were not planning on getting married. And that was important for him to like, for her to agree with him that they weren't going to get married. It was really fucking Interesting. weird. Yeah. But I mean, like he said, he wanted to kind of separate from her financially. They did have a joint bank account. So... Maybe that's why he was afraid that once all of this happened and it hit his bank account that she was going to start asking questions because he was trying to push her off on that guy with the STD name. And yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Fucking weird. So while all this is going down, Susan Reiner is basically preparing to marry Bill Bradfield. Um, but then when he testified at Jay Smith's trial, so his trial was at the Dolphin County Courthouse. And I was wondering, like, why it would be there if the crimes happen on the main line? Is it do you think it was because he was too well known on the main line? It it's could possible. be. It could also be Harrisburg is in Dolphin County. So if it was a state trial versus a local trial. Oh, I wasn't even thinking about that. That makes sense. The other thought is um if because of him being in education there was anything tied to Pennsylvania Department of Education within his 
um, trial, if they were bringing any of that into it, or if PDE was involved with anything, they're also based out of Harrisburg. So that would be through Dolphin County also. Okay. That makes sense. Well, after he testified at the trial for the robbery, Susan Reinert realized that Bill had been with her on the day that he claimed to be at the beach with Jay Smith. So Bradfield just said, huh, I must have been confused about the dates. Kind of the same thing he did to Susan Myers when she was like, you don't even like Jay Smith. You were not with him. And he was like, I must have been confused. My bad. So just note that Bradfield and Smith have always tried to like downplay their friendship saying it was casual at best. Like when they were spotted together off school grounds multiple times, they claimed it was just a coincidence. They just ran. Matching jackets. <laughs> I like can't get over this jacket, but like it's a coincidence. You just went to the same place and bought the same jacket. Yeah, Burlington and all Coat the same Factory. shit for in it. God. <laughs> I don't, did that exist in the seventies? I have no idea. No idea. I didn't um, exist in the 70s. I don't know. But they were just like, yeah, we're not really friends, friends, just like casual acquaintances. It's no big deal. So Reinhardt spoke to her therapist shortly after this, saying that she felt that Bill had perjured himself. And she also told the therapist that she needed to know the truth and that she was, quote, not finished with this. Dum, dum, dum. Right. Yeah. On the evening of June 22nd, 1979, there was a bad thunderstorm. There was hail and everything. And right in the middle of it, when it was hailing, the Reinert's neighbor saw Susan rush her children out to their car and speed away. And that was the last known sighting of Susan, Karen, and Michael. Susan was supposed to be leading some workshops at a Parents Without Partners conference that weekend in Allentown. But... I mean, that wasn't a reason for abrupt departure on the night of June 22nd, which was a Friday. And it also came out later that Susan had actually called the organization and canceled on them shortly before this. So that's not where she was going that evening. Then early on the morning of June 25th, 1979, a strange call was made to 911. Someone with a Spanish accent called around 5 a.m. saying there was a sick woman in the back of her vehicle in the parking lot of a host inn located in Sauterra Township, about halfway between Harrisburg and Hershey. I know you guys know where that is. Yeah, Amanda, when we were talking about this before, did you say that's the, what, is it a Red Lion Inn now? Like, kind of between um, the WITF and the Chick-fil-A and the Sheets. Yeah, yeah. So if you're on if you're go off of Eisenhower to Lindell Road and if you're on Lindell Road and Sheets is on your right-hand side and like the entrance to the plaza that has like I think the Sheraton or the Marriott in there and Yeah, and like Target GC Penny and all that. Yeah. yeah. It's on the it's on the side with the Chick-fil-A and the um sheets and it's up just like it's like right one. after the light right yeah okay yeah i think that's a red lion in now i think that's or red roof in something like that well those markers mean nothing to me but i'm glad <laughs> some of you know <laughs> where that is um and it's important to note that this call, which should have been recorded and handed over as evidence, got mysteriously deleted. Of course it did. Of course it did. 
So a police officer was dispatched to check out the scene, and he did a quick survey of the parking lot, barely registering the open hatchback of a car with some laundry sticking out when he got a much more urgent call. So he left. And it wasn't until much later in the morning that Susan Reinert's bound and naked body was found in the hatchback of her own vehicle in the parking lot of this motel. The police found that the car was registered to Susan and checked with the front desk of the host in. There was no record of anyone with that name checking in. So bizarre things were found in Susan Reinert's car, like a hollow dildo under the seat and a comb with the words 79th USARCOM, J. Smith's Army Reserve Unit, under her body. She also had sand on the bottoms of her feet. Possibly the most chilling thing about the scene, given that the neighbor had seen the whole family leave together that Friday evening, the children were nowhere to be found. Susan was badly beaten, and it was initially determined during her autopsy that she had either been suffocated or strangled. But months later, when her toxicology reports came back, it was discovered that she had been given an enormous dose of morphine. And I mean, like, huge. It could have killed her 10 times over. Wow. Yeah. So that was her actual cause of death. Now, remember from part one, when I said that J.C. Smith was to report for his sentence from the robbery trial, uh, it was June 25th, 1979 in Harrisburg, and he was late that morning. Of course he was. Mm-hmm. A jailhouse informant testified during Smith's trial that Smith had said he left the body there because he was surrendering that morning in that area. And no one would ever suspect that he would leave her body so close to the time and place he was known to be that morning. And I don't see it that way at all, but okay. Good so try. for, I guess, Grace, your sake, but also listeners that don't know this area, If you are coming from Philly and you're coming in on the turnpike to go into Harrisburg City, which is where he would have been going, you would get off of the turnpike exit that is in Middletown. And I don't know what all of the exits exactly looked like in the 70s, but I don't think they've changed that much. And I know the turnpike itself has existed well before that. So if you get off the turnpike, it's the first, Second. yeah, it's the you first exit right, you can take. You wouldn't go off right there, but you would go to, like, right past that first one, you would go straight, and then it's that first exit. The first one would take you to Oh, that's true. The us. first one would take you up to 283. But if you went to towards the Harrisburg. next, yeah, if you went towards Harrisburg, that first, well, that next exit is going to take you to an off-ramp that is, literally, the off-ramp would you could follow it right into the parking lot of this inn. Oh. So, and I can only imagine it would have been easier to get there 40 years ago because Mm -hmm. the sheets, the Chick-fil-A, the Target, like all that stuff wasn't even there. So it would pretty much be one of the only things off that exit. Was he like registered to stay there? No. Mm -mm. But if he was following her... I don't think they found anyone attached to... Um, this case was like checked into the hotel, but I mean, the basic theory, this case is also like super weird because they 
really have no idea what really happened. They think that Susan Reinert was lured to Jay Smith's home. And then he like killed her and drove her in her own car, apparently. Um, Do we know how he showed up to Harrisburg when he got there late? Like, do we know if he was in his car or a taxi or I want to say he took some form of public transportation. And I mean, I guess if you're surrendering um, for your jail, sentence, then you probably won't be keeping your car there. But if he did something to her and took her car there and left her in her car, he could easily catch a bus, a train, a taxi into the city Yep, from there. He absolutely could have. So the night before Susan's body was discovered, Bill Bradfield gathered up most of his posse and says, pretty sure that Jay Smith is going to kill Susan Reiner this weekend. So we better get away for a bit. Like, how about we go down the shore? Yeah, don't help her. No. And they were all like weird, but yeah, okay, I could use a vacation. Weird flex, but okay. And it's just strange because after all this came out, Bill Bradfield was saying that he did everything he could to protect Susan Reiner and he would like watch her house and circle it and like follow Jay Smith if he was stalking her house. And yet when he knew that Jay Smith was probably going to murder her this weekend, he left. Let's go a state or two away. Okay, bye. Yeah, I feel like this is murder for hire. Like, I feel like Bradfield was pulling the strings for the money, and then he was just going to pay off, whether it be in commissary or whatnot, to Smith. And Smith knew he was going to go to jail anyway, yeah. so. Yeah. Um. I have to say that I don't think Bradfield would ever have gotten his hands dirty. So I really don't think there's any way that he physically murdered her. It just, he seems like such a narcissist and that he just would not want to get his hands dirty. But I definitely think he planned it or had a huge part in it. I just don't think he physically killed anyone. You say how it's like his posse and he, he talks to all these women and like, he's a good talker. I mean, he's a smooth talker, so, I mean, I'm sure he could convince anyone to do it. And why not the guy in his underwear in the office? Yeah, why why not indeed? Uh, So Bill Bradfield, Susan Myers, and Vince Valaitis headed to the beach for a relaxing weekend away from all that murder stuff. And then when they returned, Bill decided to call Jay Smith's lawyer to find out if Susan had been murdered, which is not weird at all. It's totally normal. What? Yeah. Like, I, I want a recording of that phone call. Like, hey, I know that Jay is officially in jail. Just calling. Um, Is my girlfriend dead? Like, do you know if my girlfriend's dead? Just wondering. She's not really my girlfriend, though. Like, we don't really have a thing. She's into me. I'm not into her. Is she dead, though? Yeah. The other thing is, when they went to the beach, they stayed at this, like, bed and breakfast, and he asked the woman that ran it for a receipt that was dated Friday when of that um, weekend when they didn't get there to like early Sunday morning, like Saturday night into Sunday morning. And he was like, hey, can you write this receipt and put the date as Friday? And she was like, I guess if you're going to like pay for the extra day when you weren't here. But uh, 
Yeah. <laughs> That's not weird. That's not weird at all. Yeah. So they no. went to the beach after all of this happened. Well, it was around the same time while when it, it would have been happening. So like okay. possibly like while it was happening. Yeah. So as soon as the media got wind of the murder, rumors started swirling. Rumors about swinging sex parties among the teachers at Upper Marion High School, which I mean, they were all writing dirty notes to each other. So maybe Um, about devil worshiping and sacrifice. And I mean, that was a favorite, especially leading into the period of satanic panic. Everyone was worshiping the devil. Yeah, that's true. Um, And obviously because Bradfield had been telling anyone that would listen that Smith was involved in the murder and the disappearance of Karen and Michael Reiner. And some allegations had him burning bodies in the school incinerator. Like, do all schools have incinerators? BTW? (laughs) Mine doesn't. I don't think. I mean, we have a lab with a lot of fish, but we feed them fish food, not humans. I don't... (laughs) No. I mean, if you want to say like that, that Alice and Doe case where they like burn trash and the mermail are outside, but. But like an incinerator. That's not an incinerator, though. I mean, no, I like read that and I took notes on it. And it wasn't really till I was like writing my final draft that I was like, does every school have an incinerator? No, (laughs) no. I mean, at least not. I've maybe like really big schools. I mean, I've worked in some, well, I did like placements through college in big schools between Lancaster County, Dauphin County and Cumberland County. And it's not a thing that ever came up. It is a wealthy school district. And I'm sure I could probably find out if I wanted to. I just never thought to look into it. I don't think I want to know. It could have been part of the gossip too. It could have been like parents that were like i bet he burned the bodies in the school incinerator schools have incinerators right well and (laughs) let's be real if it was jay that did it he used school facilities for everything else in his life like trash and laundry so (laughs) that's true um so other rumors had him chopping up bodies and burying the parts on the school grounds which like they never found any body parts on the school grounds but who knows? Um, so two diametrically opposed rumors started circulating. One rumor claimed that Smith killed his daughter, Stephanie, and her husband, but the other had Stephanie and her husband alive and well and caring for Susan Reinert's two children who were still missing. And like, I would love for that to be true, but to this day, none of those people has ever been seen again, seen or heard from again. No um, activity on like their social security numbers or anything like that. So I just don't think any of them were alive even at this time. And there's like a reason that the pilot episode of that Wendy Williams death by gossip featured this story because the town was like completely consumed by it. Like it's not surprising because the true details are so dramatic. Like you can only imagine the things that people were making up wild. Um, it didn't take long for the local police and FBI to zero in on Bill Bradfield and Jay Smith. And with Smith already behind bars for the robbery, they went after Bradfield first. Um, and ca- You don't say. Yeah, right? Like, let's get him out of the way. 
So Kenneth Reiner, who was Susan's ex-husband, and Patrick Gallagher, who was her brother, filed a civil suit against William Bradfield, accusing him of taking $25,000 from Susan under false pretenses shortly before her death. Um, And they also wanted to block him from claiming any insurance money or money from Susan's estate. They were like, nope, not today. I think there's laws protecting that now. Yeah. Also, I don't know that they were in effect in the late 70s, but like if there's any investigation surrounding anything with a person's death, their life insurance is held until Well, I don't solved. think he ever got any of it, but while he was being investigated for this shit, he like filed a claim to receive all of that like $750,000. Because that's the really important thing here. And even though he was like, I didn't even want it. Her children should have gotten it. I had no idea. He filed for it. (laughs) Give me that three quarters of a million dollars. Like what the fuck? And the thing, I do think that maybe... Because he needed to defend himself against all of this. He's like, I could really use that for legal fees if it's legally my money. But I feel like when he called the lawyer, he was like, hey, is she dead? Okay, let's file the paperwork for her stuff. Yeah, basically. So the DA decided to first charge Bradfield with the theft of Susan's money, which he hoped would eventually lead to first degree murder charges later. Um, And it came out in court that Bradfield had given $25,000 in cash to Wendy Ziegler, his barely of age girlfriend type thing that I had mentioned, um, to first hide in her closet and then in a safe deposit box not long before Susan Reinert's murder. And she was like, she testified at his trial and she was like, yeah, I totally did that. (laughs) Like, okay. (laughs) Like, I just... They were all spun up in his web and he was just like, do this. He said jump and these people fucking jumped basically right off a bridge. (laughs) Well, that's kind of how it seems. I mean, and I'm assuming barely of age that she's probably 18 or 19. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I was stupid at 18 or 19. Weren't we all? So I could... I could totally see, you know, if I'm talking to some guy and he's older and into me and has money and is like, hey, hide $25,000 for me. I'd be like, okay. Yeah, you assume he knows what he's talking about. Right. Me now would look at an 18-year-old and say, you're stupid. Don't do that. But as an 18-year-old, I 100% would have been like, oh, okay, you have this money and you're trusting me. Okay, great. Yeah. So. It's so easy to judge these people in hindsight. It really is. But like, even if you've ever been in like a bad relationship, you can probably um, identify with these people. Right. Because you do stupid shit. So sometime in 1978 or 79, Susan Reiner had given Bradfield an ultimatum. She knew that he was still living with Susan Myers, but like she desperately wanted him to break that off and marry her. Um, So this surely put a lot of pressure on Bradfield, who only wanted to give women like the vague impression that he was going to eventually marry them. Like he didn't think it would actually ever come to that. So she was putting on some pressure and I'm not going to go 
into too much detail about the trials. Like, again, I highly suggest you read about them. Like, it's all really fascinating. But one thing to note is that both the trials of Bradfield and Smith were based upon piles of circumstantial evidence, but hardly any forensic evidence at all. And, like, of course, those tests weren't even close to being as sophisticated as they are today. Like, not even by the standards of the late 70s, early 80s. There just wasn't much physical evidence to go off of. It was mentioned that a hair microscopically similar to Susan Reinert's was found in Jay Smith's basement and that a fiber found in Susan's hair was microscopically similar to a rug in Jay Smith's home. And that may sound damning, but like even now when something like a hair or fiber is found to be microscopically similar, it means just that, similar. Like it could be also be similar to a million other hairs or fibers. So it's not a very exact science. And in fact, I was watching, sorry, I was watching something and I think it was on discovery plus or Hulu, something about, um, like morgues and identifying, it was something with like autopsy texts that were talking about, um, just different elements of completing autopsies and they talked about that phrase microscopically similar and how it really just is i mean you think companies make rugs and sell thousands or millions of them so it could be microscopically similar to his rug but she could have had the same freaking rug in her house or her best friend could have had the same rug or you know her dog sitter could have had the same rug and the dog had fibers that, tra- you know, like yeah. there's so many, it can go from here to here to here to here and just be similar and not mean anything. Yeah, exactly. So I'm going to quote cold justice again, because you know, um, but they talk a lot about how not having like the physical evidence and the majority of it is circumstantial when you're working on like older cases and they like put this stack of pencils on the table and she grabs one and she says, okay, this is like one thing that goes against them. And then you get another and another. And the idea is, is that if you only have one thing, like one piece of evidence, you can break that pencil. Like it's easy to discredit it or whatever. But if you have all of these little things that equal like this giant round thing of pencils you can't break that like there's nothing like you have so much evidence that how are you going to break every little piece of that what makes it think what makes somebody think that all of these things are a coincidence yeah it's really interesting that you say that because prosecutor rick guida referred to like all this circumstantial evidence as like pebbles in his argument in both trials actually and how they just like stack up and then all of a sudden you have this like big pile of rocks and pebbles and like that's how the jury should look at it um i think actually what i was watching was when my husband and i were watching something about the west memphis three and i think it was a um some sort of forensic pathologist or autopsy tech or whatever that was making that comment and it really is similar to West Memphis three. I mean, they were put away purely on circumstantial evidence. And then later when more evidence came in, they were able to kind of, you know, break that block of pencils. But, um, I think that might've actually been when I was watching where they talked about the circumstantial evidence and, um, microscopically similar 
Yeah, I think that's kind of where I learned about it, too, because it was like uh, a fiber from like a robe that was in one of the boy's mother's closets or something like it. Oh, my God, that case drives me crazy. We'll never talk about it because it didn't happen in PA. But oh, my God. (laughs) You and I will talk about it a lot because we read the books. But (laughs) yes, um, I could talk about that case all day. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So. Also, who had anything to gain from revealing Susan Reinert's body in that parking lot? Like, why not get rid of her body like he had gotten rid of the children? Because without a body, you can't claim that insurance money. You can after years when they're legally declared dead. But if you want it now, you need a body now. And I wonder how having descendants affects that i guess because it was all signed to him it wouldn't matter that her kids were missing but like if her if her kids had been found dead would it have changed anything or not because it was all signed to him anyway that's why i don't think that her kids were listed in the well Well, there's there's also like so our if your kid is under of age you could put it in like a trust and then have somebody um being like the the person who like oversees it and make sure so like in in my husband and I's case like our son until he's 18 well regardless ours will go on a trust because he has special needs and he probably will need help his entire life so it'll go on a trust and it can be used for certain things at certain periods in his life so mm-hmm. that way whoever's in charge of it can't just like deplete all of it and go buy a Lamborghini or whatever the hell I want to buy so i'm wondering if the kids were listed and to avoid it going into a trust fund for the kids or having an executor of it that he was and he was listed as maybe being that that if the kids are gone it doesn't they can't it could be possible um they really dug into it a lot in the trials and I I just feel like the prosecutors probably would have mentioned something like this. It seems to me that the kids were collateral damage. They were just there. They had seen too much. It was just unfortunate. Unfortunate is not the right word, but you know what I mean. Um, so Bradfield was convicted of the three murders and received three life sentences from the judge. Um, the judge actually took the decision of sentencing from the jury in an interesting move. That doesn't happen very often. Yeah. But um, he gave him like it was three life sentences. And what is the harsher one if they're served consecutively? Right. Because that's one after the other. Right. So that's so if you would make somehow make parole on one that would be dumb, but you'd still have two more to get through. Yeah. So not long after Bradfield was convicted, Smith was also charged with the murder of Susan Reiner and the supposed murder of Karen and Michael. So Smith's defense lawyer, William Kostopoulos, who would later write a book about the trial that I also read. It's a fascinating perspective. Um, was slash is completely convinced that Smith is innocent of the murders. Like, strange he's a strange guy but innocent and he is just completely convinced so he fought hard for smith's case but in the end the jury sentenced jay smith to death for the murder murders of susan michael and karen reinert so like that's it right 
two people were convicted of the murder. Okay. Everyone else could go on with their lives while these two no, monsters rotted in it. prison. Slash got the electric chair. Nope. We don't cover easy cases here. Nope. <laughs> so Costopoulos immediately began appealing the verdict. And in 1992, it was decided that the prosecution had fucked up real bad. So they had to let Smith go. He just walked away. He walked off like death completely? row. Yep. Not just changed his sentence, but. Nope. I do think at one point it may have been commuted to life because um, the death penalty was kind of taken off the table in PA. You know, it goes like back and forth, but right. he was released in 92 and they could not retry him. Wow. So, wow. yep. So after that, he never went back to prison. He was a free man until he died in 2009. Wow. Yep. He remarried in 2002 and spent the rest of his life trying to clear his name. He even filed multiple lawsuits against the state police. And he's quoted as saying he wished a nuclear bomb would drop on Pennsylvania. What? Guess he just hated the state, but he's like the entire state, not the like 10 people that played a role in his. Yeah, no, the entire state, but like he stayed here and I don't know. He may have lived in another state, but he died in Wilkes-Barre. So I'm pretty sure he never left. Yeah. And oh my God, does he hate Joseph Wamba? That was the author who wrote Echoes in the Darkness that I mentioned may have been a little close to the investigation. Fucking hates him and says that he paid like hundreds of thousands of dollars to the state police for information just hates him and wamba has been known to refer to smith simply as satan well which is like so funny prince of darkness satan goat eyes it's all the same right it all ties and then Jay Smith wrote a long ass book and I haven't been able to get my hands on that book. Unfortunately, like I bet it's a riot. Oh my gosh. It was on Amazon for like a hundred dollars. And I was like, why? I'm guessing yeah. it wasn't, they didn't publish too many. <laughs> Shocker. There's, there's a case from the Bahamas that's unsolved that I am trying to get my hands on everything <laughs> that I can find. And there's a book like that, that there were only so many copies published and to buy a copy of it now is like six hundred dollars yeah it's crazy and i'm like no no (laughs) No, kindle is 2.99 right now two dollars and 99 cents the one that he wrote oh no wait no this is william this is um william costopoulos yeah yep i read that one i read it on uh kindle actually (laughs) um Like, I could devote an entire episode to just the trials, but there's so much information out there. And, like, our main focus is on the lesser-known unsolved cases in PA. So, like, I don't want to take up all of November with this one. (laughs) But, like, I encourage you to look into it. Because even though it seems obvious that Bill Bradfield and J.C. Smith conspired to commit this crime, or these crimes, um, most likely to split the insurance money, Reading trial transcripts and descriptions of what happened during the investigation will just, it makes you wonder. Like the prosecution did make some very poor and sometimes like underhanded choices. 
Like it's as if they were so convinced of the men's guilt that they didn't even like bother to build a very strong case. And like, yes, there was that mountain of circumstantial evidence, but I mean, I think there was a lot of hoping that the jury would make assumptions based on very little evidence. And it was just the way that it was presented. And you read certain things that they said and you're like, "Mm, that doesn't really make sense. Um, So when Smith's verdict was appealed in 92, the court cited improper hearsay testimony and said that prosecutors withheld evidence from Smith's defense. The prosecution is supposed to hand over everything they plan to use against the defendant to the defense team. It's called discovery. And that definitely did not happen um, with everything. This kind of reminds me of, I think it's on Netflix. It might be Hulu, but I'm pretty sure it's Netflix. There's a series called Trial by Media. That sounds familiar. It's all these different cases. I mean, Trial by Media is also a commonly used phrase, but... It's all of these cases where by the time they actually got to the courthouse to be tried, the cases were so prevalent in the media that the decision was basically made before anyone heard any evidence. And I mean, we're also looking at this, you know, four plus decades later. So we have to kind of consider how much of what we see is legitimate or like you're saying looking at the transcripts that you can kind of see i mean it makes you wonder how guilty they really are because what's presented through newspaper articles especially the ones that have lasted 40 years are they really reliable yeah and it's when you really get into it it's like jay smith was fucking weird he was I don't want to kink shame, but he was a sexual deviant. Okay. I mean, the bestiality stuff, like he was fucking weird. But that doesn't make you a murderer. Like you can be weird and not be a murderer. And then there was this stuff with all the money with Susan Reiner and Bill Bradfield. But like, there's not much evidence. It's like the motive. Sure. The motive is there, but like the evidence that he actually did it. So it's very like you mean Smith or Bradfield, Bradfield, like there's just weird shit with both of them. Um, Do they still sequester like the jurors? Um, um, I mean, I'm not sure, actually. I feel like they did it more in like the time frame when social media and newspapers and stuff it wasn't like 24 7 that you could get information that they would sequester that way they couldn't see the stuff going on in the trial and people's responses so i'm wondering like if that might have happened at this even i mean of course i don't know what it was like this long ago but i mean nowadays you see something and before anything can even go to trial for them to call a jury there's posts on PenLive and Facebook and every, you know, ABC News or Fox News, all the local channels that you have. I mean, information gets out so quickly and you start to see comments or TikToks or, you know, you start to see people's opinions. Now, obviously, again, that wasn't the case in 79, but. Well, this was the late 80s now or not late 80s, early 80s, but. 
Yeah. Still, well, but still, still no when TikTok. it actually happened, I mean, yes. it, it still takes time for it to go to trial. So you right. still have news releases that are coming out before trial. Like I know in the OJ Simpson case, they sequestered the jury so that they yeah. could see mm-hmm. that. So I was just wondering like if that was, but even then, like it wasn't nearly. Well, and in the 95. Manson case, the um, Sharon Tate murders, the people that were on the jury for that were sequestered those are celebrities though you know well and that's true like that is this case did draw national attention but not anywhere near you know a movie star getting murdered or a football star allegedly murdering someone right that's true so um so i'm not sure but However you feel about the innocence or guilt of Bradfield and Smith, I I personally feel pretty comfortable saying they're both giant douche canoes. So, I mean, that's kind of a fact. And above everything else, Michael and Karen Reiner and Stephanie and Eddie Hunsberger are still missing. Bill Bradfield died in prison in 1998 and Jay Smith died in 2009. So unfortunately, any information they were holding on to died with them. Except there was a photo found in Bradfield's cell, which is at the bottom of the page. I think you've both looked at it and I'll post it. After he died, it was developed in 1986, found among notes that may be written in code. And it was proven that Bradfield was writing notes in code while in prison, specifically to Joanne Aitken, who loved Bradfield even throughout the trial and following prison sentence. Um, They were going to get married. Of course, of course. Yeah. But this um, photo shows like a rock marker, basically, is what people think it is. People believe that this is the possible grave site of the children. How could you ever find that? So it's never been found. This, I mean... You're right. It's just How a vertical would you rock. Find it? it is a rock. But people, I mean, of course, there are web sleuths and everything and whatever was before web sleuths. But people right. have like combed the Pennsylvania woods and no one has ever found anything like this. Now, yeah, this photo was developed in 86. The murder slash murders happened in 79 and he didn't die until 98. So this rock could have been knocked over, you know, like it would be impossible, but it creeps me out. And doesn't it like if you really look at it quickly, look kind of like a hooded figure. Yep. Yeah, I was just thinking that. So it's very unsettling. I mean, for all we know, it was just a creepy looking rock that someone took a picture of and developed. I mean, it's very possible. And no one's ever mentioned if there were more photos, because I think it would be more significant if it was like the only fucking photo that he had that they found. But I've never heard mention of other ones. Do we know what Mm. now? I know the notes to Joanne Aitken were written in code. Was it ever revealed like what they said in the code? There were some of them that basically were telling her to destroy evidence. And the one I know said, go kick over this rock. Yeah. <laughs> go kick, over go this kick rock. this. Um, something about Susan Reiner was taped and bound and children were killed or something like that. 
I mean, that's what the prosecution claimed. So, I mean, they were definitely writing notes in code, but. Right. It's but what the code s- actually would mean. Right. I mean, people have, quote unquote, cracked the Zodiac code 15 different times. Mm-hmm. So kind of make a code into what you want it to be. Yeah. So, I mean, just a couple things that I wanted to discuss. Like, so this one thing is even though Bradfield had been telling people that Smith planned to kill Reiner, he lied to help get him acquitted in that um, robbery trial. So, like, did he lie so Smith would stay out of prison and be able to, like, carry out the murder that they'd been planning? Like, was the, had they been planning this for that long? Maybe it was a you scratch my back, I scratch yours sort of mm-hmm. thing. They each get something out of it. Yeah, it could have been. Because even his like faithful friends were like, you're telling us that this guy is going to kill a teacher at the school, but you testified to try and keep him out of prison for the robberies. He perjured himself to keep him out, try and keep him out. I mean, he was charged for the robberies, but. Right. Maybe the dildo was from them. Maybe. What, from Smith and Bradfield? Yeah. I mean, they were seen together. They have matching jackets. Maybe <laughs> there was a lot more. Friendship jackets. And also, I mean, where are the children and what are, like, other possible motives? Because, yeah, it could have been, like, an I scratch your back, you scratch mine with Bill Bradfield, like, asking Jay Smith to kill Susan Reiner for him. But other than that, like, it doesn't seem that Jay Smith has much of a motive. Like, there's that weak, like, affair thing. He just did. I guess he just didn't seem the type to be really motivated by money. Some people say he just liked to kill people. And that's why he did it. Well, there's that, too. I mean, there have been killers before that have said, Either they just wanted to do it to know what it felt like, or they did it once and had to keep doing it. Yeah, was it Ed Kemper that said he just wanted to see what it was like to kill Grandma? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. There was another one, too. um, And I forget who um, it was. Stephanie and Edward, like... They were drug addicts, but, like... He was cashing their welfare checks. Yeah, so, like... So where was he cashing them go? because he knew where they were or I don't well, because he so. knew where they were like, well, the fact that the methadone clinic called and was like, yo, like you missed your appointment. That tells me that they were getting clean and that they were right. trying to like mm-hmm. turn around and they were just over at his parents' house. So like, why? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. And I know Grace that you mentioned earlier that idea that, you know, they are taking care of the kids. But again, I mean, I know there's ways that you can get like new social security numbers and like there are ways around it, but I can't imagine them staying silent forever about, Mm -hmm. you know, they weren't like newborn and toddler when this happened. I mean, they were aware of their surroundings and who their mother was and who was not their mother. And sure. like, I, I feel like 
it couldn't just be a total brainwashing. But then again, there's a lot that we don't know about the brain in general. So who knows? That's yeah, true. but like the question that just gets to me is like, where are the children? And like, I've definitely like wanted to go out and search for this freaking rock to see if I can find Lord, it. That could be anywhere. I know. I know. And after so many years, that rock would be withered down anyway. Yeah. Maybe the kids went to Europe. Wouldn't that be like a nice thing to <laughs> find out nice that's what happened? I would love that. I like to live in that magical world where that's what happened. Yeah. Let's live there. So that's it for the story of the mainline murders. All sources are listed on our website, kccpod.com. So check there for the names of the books that I mentioned if you're interested in learning more about the case. And I will also be posting photos and descriptions of all four missing people from the Charlie Project website. So if you have any information about the whereabouts of Karen and Michael Reiner, you can call the Pennsylvania State Police at 717-671-7500. And if you have information about the whereabouts of Stephanie and Eddie Hunsberger, call the state police at 717-346-3378. That's all we have for this episode of the Keystone Cold Cases podcast. Please remember never to reach out to family or friends of the victims, only to law enforcement if you have any tips. This episode was researched and hosted by me, Grace. Find all of our sources, social media connections, and contact information at kccpod.com. Theme music by Darren Makins, production assistance from Darren Makins. Join us again next week for another case to sleuth out.